Good morning. As we celebrate black history this month, allow me to share information about a great woman in history, our history. Mary McLeod Bethune is her name. She was born July 10, 1875 in Maysville, South Carolina to former slaves, Sam and Patsy McLeod. She was born a decade after the Civil War. Mary grew up in poverty as one of 17 children. Everyone in the family worked, and many toiled in the fields picking cotton. Mary Jane McLeod Bethune was truly a woman of God. She allowed the Lord to use her to bring about change. A Christian woman, a wife, mother, educator, stateswoman, humanitarian and civil rights activist. She devoted her life to ensure the right to education and freedom from discrimination for black Americans. She is best known for starting one of the first private schools for African-American students, Bethune-Cookman University. It's a liberal arts institution in Daytona Beach, Florida. It is also a historically black college and university, also known as a HBCU. It has a strong foundation in the United Methodist Church. Bethune-Cookman University began in 1904 as Daytona Educational and Industrial Training School for Negro Girls. In 1923, it merged with the Cookman Institute and became a co-educational college. Bethune recognized the importance of access to education and devoted a significant portion of her life to educational issues. Invest in the human soul, Mary McLeod Bethune declared. Who knows, it might be a diamond in the rough. And invest, Bethune did. This incredibly accomplished public servant was a key organizer for the Federal Council on Negro Affairs, which was an advisory board to President Franklin Roosevelt. She also founded the National Council of Negro Women in 1935. Bethune also served four times as a delegate to General Conference. Yes, she was a Methodist. In addition to her considerable educational initiatives, Bethune worked tirelessly for civil rights. During the First and Second World Wars, she advocated for integration of both the American Red Cross and the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps. She worked extensively with the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs. During Bethune's lifetime, the predecessor denominations of the United Methodist Church included the central jurisdiction which effectively ensured segregation within the church. As Methodist leaders began to work toward unification in the 1930s, Bethune argued vehemently for a more inclusive denominational structure. She identified proudly as a Methodist woman in mission until her death in 1955. After her death, she became the first black woman to be honored with a statue in Washington, D.C. Join me in celebrating Mary McLeod Bethune. Thank you. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is Mark 1, 9 through 13. 
In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. This is God's word to God's people.
Thank Lisa and Hamid for bringing those words to us of a marvelous woman of our country's past and of our denominations past. And in so doing, help us to realize that there have been some distinctively good moments in the past of our country with race relations and there have been some moments that are uh, horrific. And we seek to be a people more of the first than the latter and we strive to be that way in our society. We are mindful of the work that we need to do and even more so this week with the shootings in Florida, we recognize that we are not the country we want ourselves to be. And I know for many of us, this grieves us uh, deeply. Um, so what do we do about things like this? I, I think we do our very best to bend the country to the will of God as best as we can to help the arc of justice to play itself out. We do what we feel we can do collectively in our society. But one thing that we can do, one thing that we can do is to make sure that we are people of peace and of justice and of love, that we find the ways to respect one another and to uplift one another and to protect one another. And I, uh, I think Lent is a time in which we will spend some moments to reflect upon who we are in the light of what the mirror shows us and make some efforts to become the more that God would have us be. That's what we seek to be about in Lent is to become the more that God would have us be intentionally in this period of time to give ourselves a goose forward into that better self. So we began Lent with Ash Wednesday and we had some fun Ash Wednesday thinking about the relationship of Jesus and John. You'll let me know if I go off the deep end too much sometimes, thinking about things that aren't really there, but imagining that maybe they were. I picture that they were cousins, and so since they were cousins, they gathered in family gatherings just like we do with ours and probably around the high holy days of the Jewish calendar. And so probably Mary and Joseph brought Jesus and brothers and sisters down along the River Jordan into Jerusalem for celebrating the holy day and probably hooked up with Elizabeth and her crowd. And Jesus and, and John are, you know, sneaking some kosher delis. They're, they're having whatever they have as guys in those days. And the parents are talking out there around the well. And Jesus and John and others are out messing around, having fun. You wonder if that happened. Don't you? I mean, people wonder. I wonder. I wonder if they talked about who they were, who they thought they were, the sense of what was unfolding in their lives. I wonder if they, even at those early ages, the Gnostic Gospels think they did. Um, our Gospels don't mention it. Did they talk about things that would affect us? 
We don't not. We do not know. But what we do know is that John was in the River Jordan. Jesus heard about it, went over there. John was encouraging people to get into a better relationship with God and saying a, a good first step for that is to come swimming with me in the river and get cleansed. Repent of your sins, he said. Then he pointed to Jesus who appeared at the riverside and said, there is the Lamb of God. There he is. Follow him. Today we're listening to some scripture and imagining the impact of that scripture, what it's trying to tell us of what happened in Jesus' life following that event in the river. And I'm going to suggest to you that I think we see in Jesus' life conveyed in the scripture here this morning, talked about in the scripture this morning, is a, is a three-phase, three-kind of segmented process, one of blessing, one of struggle, and then one of resolving. And if you would walk along with me this morning in my thoughts, I would suggest to you that it would behoove you to think of your own life with those same three words. And maybe you'll see with what Jesus does a paradigm for what God is doing with you in your process of faith. So if you're with me, let's dig in, all right? Shall we do it? Yeah. Blessing. Jesus comes to the river to be baptized. A sinless man, if you believe our theology, a sinless man choosing to identify with sinful people. Who does that? God does that. And Jesus walks into the water for us. And I would suggest he walks in the water for us so that we might be helped in identifying with the divine who will then lift us up out of the water towards life eternal. Jesus is declaring that he is the son of man. He is representative man. And God then is declaring that Jesus is son of God, our savior. And we are told in a couple of the gospels, in three of the gospels, that a voice from heaven is heard blessing Jesus as God's beloved son. Now I have yet to meet somebody that said, I heard that at my baptism. But I am here this morning to tell you that God uttered that at your baptism too. God said, you are God's beloved children. Claimed by God's grace. Members of God's family. Believe it. 
As with Jesus' life, so also with ours, that our big spiritual pilgrimage starts with this blessing of inclusion in the family. God reaches out and embraces us, each one of us, assures us of God's love to us, to each one of us, and marks us as God's own. With the watermark, with the mark on our hearts. The blessing of awakening to faith is the first demarcation of walking in the footsteps of Jesus. We step out onto the way that Jesus has prepared for us, the way of the Lord, and begin striding forward in our spiritual pilgrimage. It starts with that blessing of baptism, but continues on with many other blessings throughout a lifetime. Each blessing, though, being followed surprisingly by a struggle. Immediately after Jesus' baptism, he is driven by the Spirit, the Gospel tells us, into the wilderness. He didn't make a wrong turn leaving Jerusalem and ended up in the wilderness. This was God's will for him. It was to be a time of temptation and then a time of clarification. A time of sorting through what had been happening to him and uh, making sense of well, what does this all mean? to me. Now, if you're a big fan of the Gospel of John, you're going to be saying, hey, wait a second, Walt. Jesus knew what he was doing from before the incarnation. And then your pastor would say, yeah, that's true. That's what John says. I would invite you to read the three other Gospels and tell me how they present that. And in the reading of the Synoptic Gospels, you'll get a sense that there's an unfolding of God's will coming to fruition of the incarnation in Jesus' life. And that those other Gospels think the baptism, ah, the baptism, that was the key moment in which Jesus got clear about these inklings of who he was. And so in the wilderness, thanks to these three other gospels, we can really entertain the thought that there was a temptation of real significance. There was a testing, there was a sorting out and coming to terms with this big blessing going on for Jesus. He was tempted to use his divine power to 
satisfy himself. 40 days of hungering. Jesus, let's turn these stones into bread. Eat up, man. You're hungry, I know. And he resists that, just as he resists the temptation to put God to the test. You know, really, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off the cliff, jump off the temple. Clearly, if you're the beloved of God, drive drunk. God will protect you. Don't worry, Jesus. God's there for you to protect you, whatever you do. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not how we're supposed to be doing this. Not supposed to be testing God. We know better than to test God. And then Jesus is tempted to sell himself for power, for wealth. We all know that's not a good idea, don't we? Jesus thought, ah, that's not right. Interestingly, Jesus resisted all three of these temptations with the help of Scripture. We would be wise to become more biblically literate. There's nothing but help in there for us as we make our journey. Jesus reached back into the wisdom of the ages to get some help as he struggled to resist the temptations of that moment and to solidify who he was to be and claim the power of who he was. Now I want to ask you if you've noticed that nothing really easy unfolds in life. Especially if they're blessings. And I've got to say, when I wrote that, I thought, no, that's wrong. That's not right. After blessing comes uh, easy street, doesn't it? And uh, the more I thought about it, no, you were right with what you said. Thank you, Lord. You were right there. Usually, struggle comes after blessing. There's a living up to the blessing a living into the blessing that seems to be needed. And I'm not saying necessarily earning the blessing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying processing the blessing in such a way that you are worthy of it. To hold it. To live with it. Time and, and time again, we have to wrestle with opposing forces, struggling to claim and, and to really take hold of the blessing that comes to us, making it our own. And though we, we struggle, we're, we're stretching and we're growing so that we are able to carry the weight of the blessing and use the blessing appropriately to the greater good to which it was intended. Jesus was not giving his blessing so he could lord it over others that's what this temptation stuff was all about. 
Rather, he received that blessing so that he could save others. Our blessings are not for our self-aggrandizement, though sometimes that's what our first response is. Well, aren't I neat now? Isn't this great? Aren't I fortunate? Well, I'm going to take advantage of this. Of course I got this blessing. You all know me. No, these blessings are not for our self-aggrandizement. Rather, these blessings are for the good of those around us, to uplift those around us. I'm just rewording Paul for you here. In our struggle to understand and to use rightly our blessings, we grow into the people that God would intend us to be. We receive the blessing. We say, so now, what do I do with this? What do you ask of me with this? now that you have graced me with this blessing. And the Spirit dawns upon us and we discern there is a way forward rather than elevating ourself, rather than filling our selfish needs. There is a Spirit way forward that is saying, this blessing that I have given you is to empower you in the sharing of my love with others in this way or that way. And in the sorting through that struggle that comes from the blessing, we end up experiencing the deep blessing of connection to God and oneness of God's will with ours. And that's what I would call this kind of resolution that comes out of the struggle. After experiencing the joy and realizing the blessing and struggling to, to understand, well, how is it? What am I? Should I do what? We come to a place of denouement a resolution of that struggle. What a blessing to get beyond, to get far enough in our pilgrimage of faith that each day isn't the full struggle of our higher nature versus our lower nature as with this struggle of Jesus's. What a blessing that as the resolution happens and a new blessing occurs, that next struggle isn't that life and death struggle, but is a struggle of more perfecting and fine-tuning your being as a beloved one of Christ. The resolution is that we sit 
securely in the arms of God and we can trust what comes ahead. We can have hope and have faith that what lies ahead is God's will and we will do well with it. We will be well. Give ourselves over to the spirit and look for the good and we will spin out of that struggle that comes from that new blessing into a further resolution of oneness with God. And it's not that we'll never be challenged again. We'll be challenged again. You count on it. But we'll be better at handling it. And we'll end up in a, can I use the word, higher spiritual place. The next cycle through. And the next cycle through. Rachel and I are excited about what the Spirit is doing among us. We're excited about this season of Lent and what God's Spirit may do within you during this time, whether you're in the class or not, opening yourself up to the rigors of the season. God has a blessing, a struggle, and a resolution for you. That will be marvelous. We're excited about this opportunity because we see ourselves on a larger spiritual pilgrimage than just getting through today or living through this year. And we're firmly convinced that God is alive and active in all of our lives. full of promise about our potential to be more fully the child of God that God intends. Bless you all. Amen.